0: Take your Bibles and go to Luke chapter five um, <clears throat> i don 't think i 'll get in trouble for starting this way, but i 'm going to start this way um, i haven 't always been the nice guy that I am. I know that that some of you are going i didn 't realize you 're a nice guy in the first place, but uh, um, one of the things that the Lord has done for me over the years or done with me through the years is probably a better way to say that is <laughs> He has softened me, and he's taught me not necessarily to say what I'm thinking. And one of the ways that he's done that is uh, through my family. And um, a number of years ago, let's just say it this way. A number of years ago, I was a youth minister, and we had three young children at home. I think our oldest was probably in school at the time. The second one was almost school age. The third one was, you know, at that stage at home where she was just needy. And um, I was a youth minister and I was making youth minister kind of salary with three kids at home, which means that we were doing all we could just to make ends meet. And um, it was about that time that Teresa discovered antique shopping. Now, I need to make sure you understand where I'm coming from, okay? Now... Again, the Lord has softened me some through the years. He's taught me some lessons. It's not always good to say what you're thinking. And in this case, forgive me if you're an antique dealer or an antique buyer, but in those days, especially my perspective on antiques was that antique is just a synonym for junk. Now, think about it. An antique, well, let's take it an antique store. You will find, if it's truly an antique store, nothing there that is new. Which means somebody else used to own that and decided, I don't really need that junk anymore. I think I'll get rid of it. And so, what do you do? Let's sell it. But nobody is going to, you know, in their mind, they're not going to buy junk. So, let's change the word. It's antique. And antique now is not just buying junk, it's buying expensive junk. Okay, does that communicate? All right. Now, it's in that context that I was at work one day, youth minister, making youth minister kind of money, struggling to make ends meet. And my wife calls me and something, I don't remember the exact conversation, but it went something like this. I found a great deal. Now, in those days, when I heard a great deal, I also thought to myself, there goes some money. (laughs) And so Teresa called me that day, and she said, I found a great deal. See, we needed a dining room table, or at least I think we did. I was told we did. Let's just say it that way, okay? And so Teresa said, I've been out shopping. This was in New Mexico, in the town we lived in. She had gone and she had found this little junk, excuse me, antique store downtown in Hobbs, New Mexico. And she had gone shopping and said, I found a great deal. A table? Well, it's not just any table, okay? It's an antique table. And chairs. How many chairs were there? Six chairs, all for the low price. Of two hundred and fifty dollars, I'm thinking to myself: two hundred and fifty dollars is a relative amount of money. It's a relative term, okay? For one person, two hundred and fifty dollars is chump change. It's what they carry in their pocket, okay? It's what they pay for a drink at Sonic with two hundred and fifty dollars. But for youth ministers, two hundred and fifty dollars is like two hundred and fifty million dollars. I was thinking, how long will it take us to save two hundred and fifty dollars if we keep these children? Okay, now that's what my mind was thinking. My mouth said, whatever you want to do. I'm smart like that with my wife, okay? So I get home and, and she buys this table and chairs. I get home and I'm thinking, this must be an incredible table and chairs for $250. Now, part of the sale that she... See, I didn't realize she was selling me on the phone, but she was selling me on the phone. And she part of the sale job was that this table comes from England. All right, in my mind, it's an antique store. It's a table from England. This is English junk, That's what I was thinking. So I get home. I'm expecting this elaborate, nice table. I get home, and I walk in the door. <clears throat> now, for those of you listening online, uh, she just said it was nice. But see, nice is a relative term also. Uh, Beauty's in the eye of the beholder, but so is junk, okay? And so I'm looking at this table, and I'm thinking to myself, I cannot believe we just paid $250 for that piece of junk. But here's what you got to see from this, all right? I, I don't see below the junk level, okay? What I see is, is this going to last long enough to get through our two hurricane sons, you know, jumping on the table? So I'm thinking, how this is junk. Somebody else got rid of it, and we just paid $250 for it. I saw junk. Teresa, on the other hand, was able to see beneath the junk level to what was really there. And so her comment to me was, I'm going to restore this piece of furniture. Now, you have to understand, to my knowledge, Correct me if I'm wrong, but she had never restored a piece of furniture in her life at that point, as far as I knew. And so she saw something there. She saw it as a project. I saw it as throwing money away. Now, I'm here to tell you, I was wrong. I've been wrong lots in this marriage. It's one of the reasons I've learned to just kind of keep my mouth shut and say, whatever you think. But in this case, she began to take that piece of junk and to sand it down. And to do the things, the loving care kind of stuff that it needed for the the table to emerge from the junk. That table is still in our house. We've moved it now a number of different times. It's my favorite piece of furniture in the whole house. Because I remember what it used to look like. And I have great respect for her ability to see beyond the junk and to make... The good come out of it, to restore it to a useful kind of condition. And that points me, it became a metaphor for me, that table did, to what Jesus Christ did in my life. And it becomes something for you that you can use it as a point of a, a pointer, if you will, of what Jesus Christ can do in your life because the reality of life is that Jesus Christ specializes in restoring the broken places of our lives. I'm not saying you're junk, but you know what? Some people might say that about you. I know they say that about me. I know that all through my life I've said that about me. Well, I'm just junk. There's, there's nothing useful here. Jesus specializes in restoring the broken places of our lives. Let's look at this passage of Scripture today. I want to show you. This is what I was telling my son over the weekend, that this is one of those passages that just preaches itself. If you get to the underlying stuff going on in the passage itself, it just lays open for us. So let me just kind of highlight a few things as we go through this. We're in Luke chapter 5. and We're going to be in verse 12 and following in just a few minutes. But especially what I want you to do is I want you to see how this all fits into what Luke's been doing because he introduced Jesus, he got him onto the center stage of his story for us finally after a number of chapters of all the background stuff and finally Jesus comes to center stage and he's in Galilee and he's preaching and he's teaching and he's healing and he's casting out demons and people are beginning to recognize that there's something special about him. And so in Luke chapter 5 verse 12 we pick up another one of these snapshot incidents in the life of Jesus. And in verse 12, it reads, While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and he begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Jesus stretched out his hand and he touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he charged him to tell no one But, and now we find quotes, Jesus says to him, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded for a proof to them. But now even more, the report about him went abroad and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. There's that little statement again about Jesus pulling away from the press and spending time with his father. Well, here's the whole deal today. Four different areas that we see Jesus as he restores the broken places of our lives. The first one, all of these come out of this guy's life and his situation, okay? And the first one is that he restores broken relationships. Now, this is part of the underpinning of this whole text, and we're going to come to a passage that helps explain it as we get to the second one of these. Uh, But I want you to kind of hang into a couple of things with me first. One of the things that is true about us and the way our lives seem to be structured and put together is that sickness or illness has a way of reducing the size of our world. I want to let that sink in a minute because it's not one of those thoughts that we regularly think and we regularly live it, but it's not one of the thoughts that we regularly think. So let me th- let it sink in. Illness has a way of reducing the size of our world. It starts on a simple level. Let's say tomorrow morning you wake up and you have a head cold. You know how head colds are, right? And so you wake up and you're spouse or one of your friends that you see, the first person you come in contact for the day, they say, they're one of those morning people. Hey, it's good. It's morning. Wow. Let's go into the day. And so they say to you, how you doing? And your response is, I don't know. I'm not even head cold and I don't feel good. Have you stopped to think about just how selfish that statement is? I know that they're asking you how you feel. I don't know, I got this head cold, my head hurts. a yeah, headache. The focus goes from my day to my hand hurts. And so we internalize it. And our world gets a little bit smaller because of that. And as we go through the day, whether it's, you know, I need to take some medicine. Or whatever it happens to be, it just kind of gets that way. But, you know, that's kind of a really, you know, that might even be pushing a little bit on the head cold thing. But let's take it a step further. Let's say you wake up in the morning and you have full-blown influenza. I mean, your body aches, your joints are like, you know, oh, man, I feel awful. Awful you know that we so embrace this idea of a world getting smaller with illness in our society that in businesses, we make allowance for people to be sick and to be alone. What we call that sick days. And so you wake up in the morning and you've got the flu and the last thing you want to do is go be around those people at work or school. And so you pick up the phone And you call your boss, and what do you say? I'm not coming to work today. And your world just got really small for that day. And so now, your world is going to be stuck in a room in the house, probably. Or a couple of rooms in the house. But it's not going to be out there. It's not going to be out doing stuff. It's not going to be rubbing shoulders with people. The reality is that the sicker we get, the more we tend to just pull into ourselves. That's especially true when you get to those professional kind of sicknesses like cancer or some of those that drive us into a bed and our world gets incredibly small. A few months ago, I had the chance to go and meet at the house of one of my mentors I'd gone back to the Rio Grande Valley to do a deacon retreat for a friend of mine in his church down there. And while I was down there, I needed to go see this friend of mine. He's been one of my mentors for a long time. His wife suffering from Alzheimer's. And she's in the advanced stages of that. She doesn't even know who he is. And yet he continues to care for her at his home day in, day out. And it's wearing him out. In her world... Is this big? She didn't know anybody anymore. She didn't get out. She can't even get out of bed anymore. And illness has a way of shrinking our world. Often, as a result of that in our lives, we also then have broken relationships. Because I can't be out there. Because I don't have it within me to work on this relationship. That relationship begins to die, or at least to suffer. Case in point. We had we had Thanksgiving at our house this this week, this past week. Okay? We're overachievers. We don't wait for regular Thanksgiving. We do it early. Uh, we're at that stage in life where our kids are old enough and they have real jobs, and so they can't just drop everything and come to us. Uh, and so they all have to work next week. And so we just decided we'll do it. I'm not a slave to the calendar. We can do Thanksgiving whenever we want to do Thanksgiving. So we got them all to come in. Okay. And so over the last several days, they've been at my house, eating me out of house and home, those kids. Okay. And we've loved every second of it. Okay. And so as we were hanging out at the house on Friday and we had this spread of food, Oh my goodness. You should have come by. It was awesome. We were enjoying family, and it was the relationship of family, and we were just, you know we don't get together like that very often. it's rare that we all get together, and so we were just living it up and enjoying that, and yet, in the back of my mind, all day long, there was the reality that some family wasn't there. and my dad, just situation there is he couldn't make the trip, and so my mom and dad were at home in what was supposed to be a full family gathering. It wasn't because illness caused their world to be a little bit smaller that day. And some of you are going to go through that this week. And you're going to gather together. And some of you, for the first time uh, ever, one of your family members is not going to be there because they've gone on to be with the Lord maybe during the year. And you're, you're going to realize that the world is not quite as big as it was before. That's the reality of this situation that we find in Luke chapter 5. I know you're looking at me going, what does that have to do with a guy with leprosy? But see, the reality is, in first century Jewish life, actually, I have to take it way back beyond that. We're going to go to the Old Testament in a little while. But in the in the Jewish life that we find in Scripture here, if you had leprosy, you weren't welcome at gatherings like we had at our house the last few days. As a matter of fact, if you were in Jewish life at that point, you weren't welcome into society at large. And I'm going to come to that, but the illness that this guy has when we pick up this story and he comes to Jesus, his illness is such that he was an outcast from society. I want you to imagine as best you can how that played out into family gathering times Sure, for his family, whoever they happen to be. But what about him, the one who's on the outside, the one who can't go in where everybody else is? What was the effect of that on him? Whatever else you want to call it, he missed some of the times that caused those people in their relationship to move forward and he's like he's locked in time. While the cause may be different, the condition is Very similar for many of us. You come in here and you don't have leprosy. If you do, you're wearing long sleeves so nobody can see it. But the condition is very much the same for many of us. And that is that we're estranged. We're separated off from people that we really care about or at least used to care about. That's a reality in our lives these days. So many people come to crowds like this. And even though there's, you know, I'll just estimate the crowd here. My dad used to say, you want a record crowd every time? Let me estimate how many people here. So I'm I'm looking across this room. I see 10,000 people in this room today. How is it possible that we can be in a crowd of people like this and feel so alone? And the answer is our world gets real small sometimes. Maybe it's our own doing. Maybe it's somebody else's doing. Maybe somebody in your life cuts you off and you're just hanging out in the pasture all by yourself. Broken relationships. All of us know people with them. Chances are better than average that all of us in this room have somebody in our lives or in our extended circles that is experiencing being all alone. Well, if that's you today, I have good news for you. Jesus specializes in restoring the broken places of our lives. And you may be here and you're out there and you're all alone and you know you're all alone. You're not alone. Because into that ugly mess that we call life, Jesus steps in like my wife with that table, Jesus sees beyond the garbage, beyond the junk, to who you are. And he says to you, I will be clean. Jesus restores broken relationships. But we also find another place with this, and that is, it's kind of tied to it. That is, Jesus restores community now if we take these two they're so similar i want to make sure that you get the difference in them first of all the 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 broken relationships is more on the personal level it's the small part of our lives the the immediate family for instance or friends and that kind of thing but the community it's the bigger the community is the bigger picture and as we come to this, I guess that means it's an extension of what I just got through talking about. But the reality is we all live within a community of some kind. I, we're, we're designed for that. Take Adam and Eve, for instance. Adam in the Garden of Eden. You remember how all of that goes? Go back and read the first two chapters of Genesis. Maybe the three would help you. But um, you go back and you look. and God creates. And at the end of day one, God looks at what he's created and he says, That's awesome! I do great work. Well, that's kind of the language of the Hebrew there. And he comes to the end of the second day after he's finished with the other part of creation that he did on day two and he looks at it and what does he say? That's awesome. I do great work. And we go all the way through until the last part of creation and he creates Adam and he looks at Adam and he says, what? Ooh, that boy needs some help. What it says. Well, not exactly what it says. It does say, and God looked at Adam, and there was no suitable helper for him. (laughs) And wives across the room are going, Swagak, I told you you're nothing without me. (laughs) They're right, guys. They're right. God created Adam. And he looked at him, and he said, Something's missing. Who created Eve? What a great picture of a loving God. Think about your life, guys, without that lady that he's put there. I start to say he stuck you with that. I don't mean it that way. <laughs> From the very beginning, we see that we are created for community, we're not designed to be. Alone in our lives. I'm not talking about whether you should be married or not. I'm just saying. God creates us not as an individual that we can just stick out there somewhere in the woods and say, live it up. And that part of us created in his image for his design. That part of us that's created for community so believes that that's necessary that we begin to group ourselves in the way we live our lives. So you go off to college Some of you, may teenagers, may end up going to college. I hope you get to. And some of you are going to go to college, and one of the first things you're going to be confronted with is somebody says, hey, we want you to be part of our fraternity. That's another way of saying, you need to fit in somewhere. Come be part of us. Let me take it off of college, and let's put it in cities. We group ourselves in cities In a variety of ways, large cities like Houston, a lot of that is designed on ethnic background. And so if you're from this particular ethnic group, then that group of people live in this part of town. It's not that you can't live anywhere else. It's just that we like to live with people who think like we do and behave like we do and eat the stuff that we eat. We're just created for community. And so we pattern our lives that way. And we even do that when we come into church. I've been enjoying the process of watching y'all try to figure out where your assigned seats are in here. It's an incredible... Oh, man, why, why go to the movies? I can just get entertained right here. Now, I'm, I'm actually playing that up big time. I, I don't, I'm not enjoying watching you, okay? Well, okay, a little bit. Um, because... We had our assigned seats. We knew where we were supposed to sit. And some fat, broad-headed preacher came in there and changed everything, and now I don't know where I'm supposed to sit. And so now what happens is somebody, the leader of the pack, says, I will sit here. And you sit down, and then all of your people begin to kind of, oh, yeah, I remember him. I don't know what his name is, but I always sit close to him. So now that's my section. You see what I'm saying? We're, we create, We like community. <laughs> That's a reality for our lives. We are created for community. But you see, inherent in that is the need to belong somewhere. Oh, I, I got I got I, I need somebody to take me. It's part of how God made us. It's part of how his whole church is designed. There's a lot in that for us as a church, and I don't have time to develop all of that for us in our thinking this morning. Um, but that thing with the world getting smaller, you remember that? So people walk into our churches, and by definition, their world is just and it's just them and I'm the outcast and I don't even know what I'm doing here and they walk into a church that's already grouped up and they got their places and there's no place for them to go in church and so they just go, well, I guess not. So they pull up a chair in the back or in the front or in the parking lot and drive off because I just don't belong. We're created for community and that's part of God's community as well and this guy this leper, finds himself on the outside of that. The family relationship part we talked about, but now we look at the community part, and these are the people of God, and somehow he doesn't fit, and here's the kicker for us, and it's God's doing that he doesn't fit. Look at this passage of Scripture. It's in Leviticus chapter 13. And... uh, It's in the law. It's when God is giving the children of Israel the instructions and the guidelines on how they're going to live with one another in community. And he says this, the leprous person... I I should stop for a second and make this clarification, okay? In Scripture, we find this word leprosy as an umbrella kind of term for skin diseases, okay? And there is that very specific kind of stuff we call leprosy, uh, but that's a term that came in, and this, and all of the medical stuff tied to that, the, the discovery of the microorganism that causes that particular kind of skin disease is very late in history, Western history at least. And uh, so when we find the term leprosy in Scripture, actually it's an umbrella term, and there are multiple dozens of different kinds of skin diseases that fall under that, Okay. And so when God's pulling together the laws for his people to live in community, he says this, the leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose and he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean. Here's the verse I want you to get. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. He dwells or his dwelling shall be outside the camp. Make sure, just leave that up for a minute, Spencer, if you will. Make sure you hold on to this. The skin disease that he has, this guy in Luke chapter 5, has caused him, according to the laws of their community, to be without a community. Think about what that does for him and the impact of of that on him in the long haul. How would that affect you? This Sunday, excuse me, this Thursday, Thanksgiving Day, when the gathered people of your family get together and you cannot attend. It's not that you don't want to, although you might convince yourself that you don't want to. I don't want to be around a bunch of people anyway. i got plenty of relatives. I don't need to be around them. We have ways of softening this impact on ourselves. This guy couldn't do it. And his community was gone. That basic part of him created for fellowship and for community with other people, he couldn't exercise that. So it's a big deal when Jesus says to him, I will be clean. And go show yourself. It's interesting, Jesus says, uh, you can't be part of the community because you got this problem. So I'm gonna remove that from you. I'm gonna restore you to community but in order for that to happen it's not enough today for me just to say that it's enough for you to be healed but that doesn't restore you to community because they got their rules out there those community people so you need to go follow the rules and you go to the priest and you go through the process and you let the priest say it's okay he can come back in well I have a lot to say about this in churches and how we exclude people in our community Let me just get that. Let's just go there. The third one that Jesus highlights for us here is that he specializes in restoring soiled reputations. You know, as it turns out, the church is full of these people. The dirty people. You know what I'm talking about? These are the people that wear the effects of life where everybody can see them. Well, it's not necessarily on their clothes. Maybe it's deep within them, some of their unclean past. Somehow church people seem to smell that out. Why do you think, back to that Leviticus thing, why do you think that God made that requirement on those people? Why would God who created us for community say to them, if you have leprosy, you can't be around these people? Part of the the answer to that is clearly the communicable diseases part. If you have the skin disease... Leprosy, by the way, one of those, I'm, I'm no doctor, that kind of anyway, is all that stuff. Uh, you know, the highly contagious nature of some of this stuff is, is that you don't just wipe out the entire population by just acting like nothing's wrong. So get out there on the outside and live alone. And there's some truth to that. But there's another element to this that is really rough to get. Did you see that Leviticus thing? I mean, Spencer, can you go back to that one? I, I want you, the part I kind of skipped over. Let the leprous person who has the disease uh, wear torn clothes. That's so that everybody could see that something's wrong. You know anybody like that? They wear their uncleanness with them everywhere they go. Let them wear torn clothes and let the hair of their head hang loose. See, that's cruel for bald bald people. Here's the part I want you to get. and Cover his upper lip. That's this right here. Why do you think God wanted him to do that? This is as they're coming in contact with other people. So you're out on the edge, because he can't be in town. So you're going from one place to another, and you're going through the countryside, and here's this leper hanging out on the road, and you see him, and the first thing he has to do, other than the way he looks, he's got to cover his mouth like this. Why do you think he does that? So he can't breathe on you, because after all, you don't want any unclean person breathing on you. That's why mothers say, Cover your mouth when you sneeze. Not your mouth, your nose. When you sneeze. Or your mouth when you cough. You don't want to spread your germs. Think of the status that this is hanging on the sick person. Cover your mouth. And then, I'm going to turn this off so I don't kill you. You know why he had to do that? Because nobody wants to come in contact with an unclean person. Think of the stigma that that hung on these lepers. This is not just, you got to live out there in the country. Most of us would jump at that chance. This is to be stigmatized. It's to be stuck out there. It's to say, you don't count anymore. Because you're dirty. Isn't it significant that he comes to Jesus and he does not ask to be healed? He says, if you will, that's want to. If you want to, you can make me clean. (laughs) Wow, that's insightful for us. You know what we need to get? We need to get the reality that as church people... We can stigmatize people. We can look at somebody and say, you don't belong with us because you're unclean. You're dirty. Now, I know we're too cultured for that. We're way too religiously cultured to do that. So we just see the unclean person and turn and act as if they're not there. This guy is in horrible condition and leprosy is the least of his problems. He comes with a history. He's dirty. Some of you sitting in here, you know that you're dirty too. Hey, let me say to you, welcome to the world of dirty people. Because we're all dirty. Let me tell you something. There's nobody with a more soiled reputation than this guy standing here preaching this morning. And yet, somehow, Jesus looks at me and years ago, in the midst of a drug stupor, God looked at me and reached out to me and said, I will be clean. And every day, he says to me, Be clean. Not not the, the command, although that's part of it, but it's the reaching out. It's the acceptance that pulls me close and says, I will, I want you to be clean. And he makes it happen. Jesus specializes in cleaning up and restoring you from a soiled reputation. That's good news. It was good news for a guy named Simon Peter. It was good news for a guy named Paul. And it's good news for you. Last one. I, I'll just mention that. I, I throw this in because I put myself into the story. If all of that was true and a lot of the, the kicking him out to the pasture kind of stuff of this passage was true of this guy, and it was... Uh, I can't help but wonder why he would even bother with the whole religious thing (laughs) if the religion itself was what caused him to have to go through all that, then why bother with it? And I think the answer is we've got churches full of... No, let me say it the different way. We have churches that are not full because we have many people who have tried the religious thing and all they got from the religious people was religion that said they were unclean and treated them like they were outcasts. This guy doesn't come back to the religion. Jesus forces him to do that. This guy comes for help, and that's always the right answer. Okay? The religious faith that he was reared with, he grew up with, was shattered by all of that kind of stuff, And Jesus says, get right back into it. Go to the priest, get this taken care of, and then come back into the fold. So how do you get there? If you're here today, and you're the one who is an outcast, and you're the dirty person, and you know that you are, and I'm not saying that in any kind of way, saying that you are. I'm just saying, you you just carry it with you. How do you get help? Learn from this leper. Here's the first thing that he did. He... (laughs) He was incredibly desperate. You know that when he comes to Jesus to get help, he violates all kinds of law. He's not supposed to be where people are, and yet he is intent on getting there. As a matter of fact, Scripture says that he fell on his face and begged Jesus. That's a picture of desperation. You want help? You want to be restored? You want to be that table that somebody sees life in? Everybody else calls junk. Be desperate for the Lord. But part of that is that you have to acknowledge him as Lord. Finally, you know it's just a God thing. Jesus is the one in all of this who says, be clean. Let's pray together. As we close, let me just ask you a question or two. Where are you with God today? You feel like you're on the outside looking in. Some of that may be your own doing. And that is that you may be like some other people. You just convinced yourself that, you know, there's nothing there. I can't get help. I can't go there. And yet God says, oh yeah, I want you to be clean. So today could be that day for you. Just step out of the past and into a glorious present where he says, be clean. Maybe that you're one of those who has ostracized some other people and you've said to people with your actions, maybe even with your words, there's no place here for you. You need to repent of that because if Jesus can say, I will be clean, who are we to tell anybody anything different? Where are you with God today? And so Father, we ask you to take this time Change lives for your glory. In his name we pray. Amen.